Maybe you or someone you know has a serious medical condition. Maybe you're just looking for answers on why you're not feeling well. Well, we've got a great show for you on KLBJ. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron with WellMed Radio, an entertaining and detailed look at health and wellness for seniors and other adults age 18 to 101. We bring you recommendations on how to live longer and healthier lives. Tune in to WellMed Radio Saturdays at 7 p.m. with the Caregiver SOS show immediately following right here on News Radio KLBJ. They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. It is 4.03. Kyle is here producing. Frank has some thoughts on the news that President Biden had his annual physical today. Doctors say he's ready for duty. The White House says the president was not given a cognitive test because the doctors do not believe he needs one. Hello, Frank. Welcome to KLBJ. Well, thank you for taking my call. And Mark and Melinda, I enjoy your show very much. Very talented people. Thank you, Frank. Frank. Good to Uh, have you here. Yeah, my comment is that uh, this this whole event reminds me of an old children's story about the uh, emperor who wore no clothes. And all of his subjects kind of uh, ignored reality. I believe that's a similar situation. They're afraid of him. not to mention the fact that I don't think that cognitive necessity helps his const- his constituency. I think his constituents don't care. They just they don't care if he can think or not. And I also believe it could be a strategy to prevent uh, an impeachment because they'll have an expert witness already lined up to say, no, he's fine, he's fine. That's my comment. Thank you. Well, the voters, Frank, uh, deserve to know. Right. Uh, whether it's Biden or Trump or whoever it is, when they reach that age, we deserve to know, are you fit and 100% prepared to handle such a critical job for our country and remain on that job for four years? And I would hope that all Americans, no matter your party affiliation, want someone in that office that has the ability to handle any and every situation that comes up and not have any concerns on whether they can do that. Well, I think for quite a while we've all thought that his handlers uh, kind of utilize him as a as a sock puppet, and he can show up and he can read screens, but that's about it. I don't think there's any uh, uh, free thinking there at all. Frank, thank you. Have a good afternoon. Are we reaching a point where Congress needs to implement a law that requires presidents, presidential candidates to take cognitive tests if they reach a certain age or above? You know where I stand. There needs to be a law that anybody that runs for an office should take a cognitive test because we should know if you are voting for someone to represent you on any level that they have the ability to do so. That would be on the federal level, presidents, senators, members of Congress? Local, mayor, city council members, school board members, Uh, state. I mean, it should be on every level because these are the people that are making decisions that you have decided can make the decisions for you, for the city, for the state, for the nation. We should have the utmost confidence that they can actually do that it may not be decisions that you like it may be that they turn out to not be (laughs) decisions you like but at least you're not questioning whether they have the mental ability to make those decisions look at the recent case of the secretary of defense 
We were told no one knew where he was. Even President Biden didn't know where he was. He was he was so ill and ailing, and it's a very critical time. The Houthis are trying to sink our ships mm-hmm. in the Red Sea. Iran is up to no good. We've got Ukraine, the situation with Israel. That's a high-level cabinet member, and, and the public needs to have full confidence at all times in all of these positions, whether it's the president or some of those key cabinet members. And it doesn't mean that, like with the defense secretary, that we lose confidence because he gets sick. Listen, we don't have control over that, but you have to be transparent. You have to say, I need to step down for a month to get treatment Mm -hmm. for this, and then I will step back and fill my role. I will always be in contact. But it it is the transparency that gives people the confidence in you, that they don't feel like you're hiding anything, trying to get one over on them. That's what a lot of people just want. Be transparent. Let's go to Andy on I-35. It's 407 with Mark and Melinda. Hello, Andy. How are you? Hey, good this afternoon. Y'all doing good? Yes, Doing sir. well. Thank you, sir. So, so this is my question. You know, Joe Biden, in my opinion, obviously, he's not... He's the president. He's the one who's supposed to be held responsible. But other people are, are calling the shots back there. And who is that? I think it's Barack Obama and, and members of his administration. So these people who are actually making the decisions of the executive branch, um, they like it. They like where they are. They like the power that they have. So if they t- decide to say, hey, look, Joe, you're too old. We're going to turn it over to Kamala. Well, guess what? They She's going to bring in her own people. Those people just... They don't have no power anymore unless she grants it to them. Mm-hmm. That presidency, the presidency and the power of the presidency exists within the body of one person, whoever that president is. It's not his administration that gets to make or sign policies. It's not, you know, his advisors. No, it's the man or the woman who is to be president. That is the executive branch of our governor. It, it, it's, it it's the person. It's the else. it's the person that the voters selected. Yeah. Yes. That's right. That's right. And and so, in my opinion, it's pretty clear that somebody else is running the show. And this Biden, Jill Biden, has a, a lot of culpability to me in this because she's trying to, she, you know, putting him right out there in front of people like he's got his senses about him. And, and he doesn't. So I, all of them are just using him to continue to, to exercise power that they have that they don't possess was not given to them by the election by the electorate of the, of the U.S. citizenry, and because they're not the president, but they are exercising that power. And I'd like to know who they are. I really would like to know who it is that's making those decisions because that person was not elected president. Well, Andy, everybody, th- thank you. Have a good one. Know who is making the decisions because you have that expectation that when you elect a president. That's the person that's in charge. Yes, it takes a whole bunch of people uh, to, to gather information and do that. But when it comes time, it is that individual that we hold responsible for the decisions that are made. And if they're not making them, we absolutely have the right and should know who is. Yes, Harry Truman said it. The buck stops here. The public expects that that president has the final decision and always has the final say. Are we going to hit the Houthis militarily? Everybody expects it's the president who has the Mm -hmm. final say on that. Uh, Let's go to Bob at 410 on KLBJ with Mark and Melinda. Good afternoon, Bob. How are you? 
Yes, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. I had a comment about the uh, un- very unfortunate and outrageous death of the uh, nursing student at Georgia at the hands of illegal Venezuelan immigrant and also the Fannie Willis uh, election interference debacle case. I think one can make an argument that uh, the chickens are coming home to roost for the Brian Kemp administration. Because if you remember, back in 2020, there was, you know, uh, concerns and evidences presented of election uh, irregularities, possibly even fraud, and his Secretary of State, Raffelsberger, and Kemp refused to investigate it, as I recollect, and that they certified the election that, you know, Biden won. And now, when Biden got in the White House, what they do? Unleash Fannie Willis and now un- un- illegal, illegal immigrants uh, in his state of Georgia. And, uh, and also, it exposed that they have sanctuary cities in Georgia, where Athens, Georgia, where this poor gal was killed, and that Kemp and the legislature haven't done anything about it to outlaw those. So I think uh, that's really interesting, but I also think with all what's going on in Georgia now, it's going to turn the election tide in Trump's favor, and he should have no trouble winning Georgia. Well, Bob, uh, President Biden was talking about crime today, and Melinda, you're noting that he didn't say a word about the murder of the aspiring nursing student? Well, it was reported that he didn't say a thing about uh, Lake uh, and Riley, which is her name, didn't say a thing about any of the crimes that we are seeing across this nation that are being committed by those that are here illegally. Just left that out of the conversation. And he, uh, Jean-Pierre was asked during the press conference today if the Biden administration had even reached out to Miss Riley's family, mm-hmm. to which she responded, I have nothing to report on that at this time. Um, which, to me, is quite interesting because when it fits... Their narrative, Biden is on the phone within minutes. Yes, he is. And his handlers know they do not want him talking about Lake and Riley, the nursing student in Georgia, because it shines a bright light on his deadly open borders policy. People start connecting the dots and people will get angry hearing that a guy who had no business being in the country murdered this young student in broad daylight when she's trying to jog at Athens, Georgia. And she is one of many that just happened within this last week, whether it was rape of young children, whether it was theft, whether it was shooting at D.C. cops. It is continuing. Well, there's another one. The illegal alien from El Salvador just got arrested. They just caught him. Uh, shooting and killing a two-year-old boy who was out for a walk with his mom Mm. in Maryland. And and this illegal alien got into a shootout with other illegal aliens, and the two-year-old was in the crossfire and died. And if I I remember, if this is the same thing that I remember, he had been let out earlier uh, because he had been arrested. It was in a place that did not cooperate with ICE, so they let him back into mm-hmm. the community to which he was arrested again, let out again, and then yes. led to the killing of a young boy. Yes. Multiple times. Sanctuary cities. Cut him loose. Hmm. 512-836-0590. It's 414 with Mark and Melinda. And now, back to The Mark and Melinda Show. 
Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. Friday afternoon, Melinda and I told you that a report indicated a veteran special ed teacher in San Antonio at Brandeis High School was actually killed by one of the students, a big student who shoved the 73-year-old teacher. The teacher slammed his head so hard into the wall that it gave him severe brain damage, and he died a few days later. This was the story where the widow of the veteran teacher told the New York Post that the school was lying about what happened. Mm -hmm. They were saying that the husband was injured trying to divert a student. A very euphemistic term for what happened. She says, actually, this was a very big student, more than six feet tall, who shoved her husband with such force that he ended up dying from his brain injuries. And last night, there was a school district board meeting and several current and former special education teachers attended and aired out frustrations and concerns and A lot of what I read that they were saying seems to back up what the widow has come out and said, Mm -hmm. that there is just this culture in there where these teachers or these teachers' aides are getting beat up on the daily, whether it's scratching or actual physical hits or just wrestling with them, that there is a big problem with how these classes are handled. Here is uh, part of that testimony. This is from KSAT News in San Antonio. Lana Taylor is one of the teachers who spoke up at the school board meeting last night. And Lana Taylor works in the special ed department. There would be hitting, chasing around the room, spitting, punching, kicking. I had to go out and buy myself gloves to keep my hands from being scarred anymore. I had to go out and buy a face shield to keep my face from being scratched. If you couldn't catch that, that second teacher was saying she had to go out and buy a face shield to protect her face from the students, and she had to buy special gloves because the the kids were scratching her hands so much she was getting scarring on her hands. And then the first teacher was talking about kicking, punching, elbow strikes, spitting, all sorts of violent attacks by the students in special ed against the teachers. Yeah, and I remember back to, um, I I guess it was called a union that was saying all the blame for this lies on the governor, the Texas legislation, uh, that's just not adequately funding or preparing for this. And they wanted more training for this. How do you train? I would imagine that these teachers, the ones that just spoke, the poor gentleman, I think his name was Mr. Fred, uh, that lost his life, had been doing it for 10 years and have the training. Yes. How do you train the staff to not be beat up by the special needs students? The training seems to be needed on the students. Yes. And, And how do we... What is needed to prevent these type of attacks to happening to anyone, whether it's another child in that class or whether it is the teachers or the teacher's aides? It would be interesting to ask the head of the teacher's union, what would you train Mr. Fred, who's 73 years old, to do when a more than six foot tall 17-year-old is coming at him with full force? 
in intending to inflict severe bodily injury on a 73-year-old man. What's the technique to use there? Duck and weave, I guess. I don't know what you say to that. When you're caught off guard, which it sounds like he was, he's trying to direct the students into one place, and this big guy comes and pushes him. You don't have a—I don't think there's any training for anyone that is going to say that, A, that push is going to end in your death, but how do you stop a push you didn't see coming? Mm Mm-hmm. I get a sense from this story that the school board isn't going to do a thing with the testimony from these special ed teachers. They, they seem to just say, we'll address it. Thank you. We heard what you're saying. Uh, we're listening. Here's how they worded on KSAT News. School board members said, per protocol, we would not address your concerns that you brought up tonight, but we were listening. And that's, that's noncommittal. That's Bravo Sierra. How dare they do that? That's why you ran for school board. Address their concerns right there in the meeting. And I may have missed it. Did the <clears throat> district ever address the that New York Post report? No. With the widow? that no. I mean, basically, they were covering up what actually happened by just saying he fell when he was trying to redirect the students? Mm-hmm. They're covering it up. They hope the public forgets about it and that it goes away. That's so disrespectful. I mean, it, to not only Mr. Fred and his widow, but to all of those that you have currently working in these classrooms. Yes. To these teachers who stood up and said, this is what I'm facing day in and day out. I remember Friday, uh, the widow of Mr. Fred was telling the New York Post her husband loved those kids. He was always coming home with black eyes, bruises cuts, Mm -hmm. deep scratches from the kids attacking him. But the gentle 73-year-old man just kept going back because he loved the kids. And here the school board won't even address the the concerns raised by these other special ed teachers in a meeting. Yeah, you're you're not helping. You think you have a problem now filling the positions of special needs teachers? You're really going to have a problem when you ignore them telling you what is going on here are the numbers we'd like to get your thoughts 512-836-0590 call or text to join the conversation you may have some thoughts on what these special ed teachers are saying happens to them and their colleagues on a regular basis Uh, you may have a reaction to the widow of the 73 year old and her comments that the school district has been lying and covering up what actually happened that it was a very violent six-foot special ed student who killed her husband, a 73-year-old man who had dedicated his life to helping these kids. 512-836-0590. Tom is in South Austin at 424. Good afternoon, Tom. Welcome. How are you? Well, good. Thanks. I just wanted to comment because I thought I had something, a little skin in this game. My wife's been a a special ed teacher for over 20 years, and I was just going to say, most of the training that they get is from the school district, but it, it, it's by state law that they can only restrain these kids in certain ways. I mean, if the kid's coming at you, it's not like you can, you know, punch them in the nose or something like that. They are, they, by state law, they can only restrain them a certain way and take them down a certain way. And it's, it's very difficult. You know, these kids, that, that child certainly didn't want to hurt that older man, 
but but obviously he was having a bad day or something happened. But but that happens every day in these classrooms. A lot of these kids have behavior issues and and they you know they throw uh, tantrum tantrums and things like that. It's difficult, and those those special ed teachers they give so much, and it's because those children need that help. What what is the uh, age range of the students your wife work, works with, Tom? Well, she did secondary, which is high school and middle school. But, you know, the same thing happens in elementary school, too. Those kids are, um, they have behavior issues, too. But, but when they get older, and, and remember, too, special ed kids, where most kids graduate at age 18, special needs kids can actually stay in high school another until they're 22, I believe. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, and so, so a lot of these times you'll have these kids that's, you know, it's a 20-year-old kid with a beard, you know. So, and that's mostly the kids that are um, highly um, or have real real needs and issues that stay the longer time. But again, special needs kids can stay uh, up until they're 21 or 22. Tom, thank you. Have a good afternoon, sir. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a good day. Thank you, sir. Uh, Barbie is with us on KLBJ. Barbie, welcome. I understand you are a special ed teacher. Is that right? That's correct. I am, and I have been for quite a number of years. I can corroborate everything that your previous caller said about his wife's journey through special education. It's very difficult. Um, We do have um, the most uh, needy children and their families in our school districts, and I just hope that our uh, governor and our legislators can come to some reasonable decision so that these families can be served by funding more special educators who are highly trained. We're highly trained. We are highly trained. Many of us all have master's degrees. We are trained in um, a certain types of certification that help keep us safe and help keep these children safe. But we can't do it with bare bones money. We can't do it with bare bones staff. We need people to vote for people who fund public education. Barbie, can can you hold over a moment? Yeah. Okay, thank you, uh, because uh, this is a very important conversation, and uh, I don't want to cut you short. Uh, we'll continue. Stay right there. We've got others ready to weigh in. I know Melinda has a thought. She wants to get in here with Barbie as well. We'll get to all of that coming up just ahead, right after we get you up to date On the news on the half hour, it's Mark and Melinda, 428 at KLBJ. They're live, local, and talking about the stories that matter to you. Share your opinions with Mark and Melinda at 512-836-0590. Now, here are Mark and Melinda. 431, Kyle is here producing. We hope you're having an excellent afternoon. We're talking about a case out of San Antonio. Special ed teachers showed up at the Northside School District School Board meeting last night pleading for help from the school board. They were talking about the physical violence they suffer on a regular basis at the hands of the students down there. Barbie is a special ed teacher who was nice enough to hold over with Mark and Melinda. Melinda, did you have a comment or question for her? I did have a question for you, Barbie. You were talking about... um really needing the extra funding you need the texas legislation to to do that to hear y'all um and i know you said that would go towards more training and additional teachers i'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out though how does and, and i believe the training that y'all gets the sama training 
Is that correct? Mm, that's one of the different, yeah, that's one of the different protocols. That's correct. So what other, when, when you say more training, what other training could you or all in your position receive that would maybe prevent something like what happened in San Antonio? Sure. Well, I'm of the opinion that any and all teachers or any and all uh, staff members who work with students, which means everybody in a school building, these days should get trauma-informed relational uh, instruction, which is care for uh, students who have experienced trauma, which is everything from divorce, PTSD from child abuse, um, having to move six times because your parents keep losing their jobs, uh, having to live through COVID. Um, trauma is a, is a real um, part of teaching in every classroom these days. Uh, it's, it's ridiculously pervasive and without the knowledge of how trauma impacts the human brain, you you oftentimes implement incorrect um, ways to try to solve the problem or help the child. Because it almost it's a very, sounds like y'all are not even have the ability to teach that you're just there kind of as therapist in a sense. We are, I would I would say that if I were in the private sector, I could easily be uh, getting $160 an hour uh, therapizing people for mental health concerns. Um, teachers are, in, are uh, there's so much that we're required to do to just keep um, a functional uh, classroom going. That's a general education classroom or a special education classroom. There's you know, they're just... Okay, so um, I, I feel like that part needs to stop because we're, we're really falling behind on the learning. So how could we yes. make that part of your job stop, but it still not be a hindrance to trying to teach? Because I, I can imagine if there's mm-hmm. a term, the children experience trauma, that they, those are, could be the one that have the outburst and disrupt. How do we get back well, to teachers just teaching? Oh, oh it, uh, there's so many aspects to that. That's parents. Let's get back to parents' parenting. Let's get back to having schools funded where the people who are um, teaching your children are treated as professionals, are paid as professionals. We didn't take a vow of poverty we, we, to, in order to do this job. So let's get the funding to pay people so they want to go into the profession and don't just um, do it because it's their calling and it's their mission. It needs to be a respected profession again. It's not. Um, and it, we're, we're feeling it from all aspects of the community, and we're feeling it from when people don't vote to uh, fund public schools. Barbie, in terms of students trying to inflict physical harm on their teachers, what's the, mm-hmm. what's the number one thing that would help reduce that or eliminate that, in your opinion? Um, we need more, uh, so many things. We need more staff to help uh, counsel students who are on the verge. We want to catch things low. We want to catch kids who are, you know, before they are having these, you know, extreme behaviors. Well, that just requires 
more opportunity to listen to kids, more opportunity to interact with them. We need that by highly, pra- you know, highly trained professionals who have either training in the area of counseling or training in the area of trauma, just whatever it is that, that we need to, of course, different campuses have different needs. Different students on campuses have different needs. We need to have um, readily available professionals available all the time on and that just takes money. You know, we just need, we need funding to help this. Otherwise you have people who are so taxed out both emotionally and that they just, the jobs are not getting done. The, the, you know, you can't get to the integral part. So it's, do we send kids to to school for daycare or do we send kids to school for education. Barbie, how many students do you have in your class and how many staff members are in your class? So I um, support students who have behavioral and social needs and they, um, I support them mostly in the general education setting. So I have in my program, we have two lead teachers 30 students and one uh, educational assistant. And we are in all grade levels, kindergarten through fifth grade throughout the course of the school day. So, so you, you're not in the same room all day. You move around? No. Are you a behavior no. specialist that goes to where, where the calls are? Yes. Where the needs yeah. are there? Yeah. Correct. Okay. Barbie. And uh, then we have, yeah. Yes. What was that? Oh, I was just going to say, I just, um, I, I just, I appreciate so much the opportunity to share um, this experience, you know, with you guys today and with your listeners. I know that there are a lot of preconceived notions about education. We're out here trying our hardest, y'all. We're really, we've got a lot of passionate people who are really trying to help kids. And um, please go vote for people who support public education. Barbie, thank you for that insight from the front lines. We really appreciate it. Sure, you guys. Um, thank you for rocking a great uh, Wednesday afternoon. All right. Have a great evening, Barbie. You have a good one. Thank you. 512-836-0590. To me, hearing all of that, it really needs to be more of a focus on the students and not so much. And, and I'm saying that in the sense of, um, I, I think I heard Barbie and I think I heard the, the member of the San Antonio Teachers Union saying we need to train our staff more. It seems like to me the focus has to be on the students more. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't have the answers to that. But it sounds like we have more students with behavior problems. Mm-hmm. And when you have just one behavior problem in a classroom, it stretches everybody thin from the teacher to the assistants to the other kids in the class to the administration and it seems like we, we've got to focus on that but I don't know how you do that without demanding and we should all be demanding that parents do their job mm-hmm. let's go to Israel at 439 Mark and Melinda good afternoon Israel how are you I am doing fine thank you uh, Mark and Melinda for this opportunity great forum Thank and, you. Uh, great opportunity to discuss something. But first off, I want to say uh, to all the teachers listening right now, bless you. It's a very, very tough job. You guys are heroes 
even though people don't think you are. Uh, you do a, you provide a heroic performance on a daily basis, and uh, a lot of people just don't know it. They're not in the classroom. I'm a, I'm a retired Texas school administrator, and uh, I want to speak a little bit to, uh, to both sides of the conversation in that uh, I, I don't know the facts. And maybe it's in that story that you uh, read off the San Antonio newspaper, but uh, it's very possible that the board seemed, uh, you know, they, they didn't want to engage uh, because uh, it is possible that this teacher that made the uh, speech at the board meeting was not on the agenda item. And uh, anybody that's familiar with Texas rules, uh, with uh, Robert's Rules of Borders, which most uh, cities and school boards follow, uh, you cannot address anything that's brought up on the floor if it's not an agenda item. So by them saying merely that they heard, heard that person and that they understood may be the limit of what they could do without opening discussion on a non-agenda item. So it's a very possible thing that that at that meeting that person wasn't on the agenda, and it's very possible that that the board may have appeared to be unsympathetic, but just by following the rules, they just they couldn't say anything more. What there are things the board members can do though to address this right away. What are the top two things they could initiate? Well, they could. At that meeting, they they could have said that there will be future discussion on this item. It will become an agenda item. Uh, they can make a short statement that, you know, uh, I'm, I don't know somehow, sometimes short statements, you, you can't make everybody happy. So sometimes you make a statement and it, it doesn't cover enough because people feel like you should have said more. And uh, that's why it's so darn complex because uh, you, you can't please everybody. And uh, unfortunately, just addressing it, addressing it in short form uh, may even start more more uh, unfavorable comments than, than you even want or expect. All right, uh, Israel, thank you, sir. You have a good afternoon. I don't know if that was on the school board agenda or not, but it most definitely should have been, given the recent events that took place at that school with the death of Mr. Fred. Yes, his death and then the teacher last night saying, I bought a face shield to protect my face from the students attacking my face. Mm-hmm. It, it shouldn't have gotten to this point. Or at least the, the school leadership should not have been oblivious to what's happening in those classrooms. They, well, they shouldn't makes, be able to say, well, wow, we didn't know that you were being attacked on a daily basis. Well, and it's worse if they did know and just left the teachers out there to fend for themselves. Yes, it is. 512-836-0590-443 with Mark and Melinda. And now back to the Mark and Melinda Show. Join the conversation at 512-836-0590. 446, we have two big breaking stories developing right now. One is the U.S. Supreme Court says it will hear the case of former President Donald Trump saying he had immunity as the President of the United States and therefore should not be prosecuted by the special counsel for the January 6th riots at the Capitol. Yeah, they've set the oral arguments for the week of April 22nd, so this delays that even more. Uh, You know, this is one that is Jack Smith, the prosecutor that wanted 
let's go, let's go, yes. let's go, let's go. Uh, and this is going to delay it further. The other big breaking story is that House Speaker Johnson has reached a deal with Democrats to keep the government funded and avoid a partial government shutdown. It's another short-term funding. This deal just extends it until March 8th for some of the government agencies, the rest until March 22nd. So it's just a continuation of what they've been doing all along, which is not their job. And I'm reading that the uh, vote in the House on that will be tomorrow and the vote on Friday is in the Senate. Is that what you're seeing on the continuing resolution? Uh, I I don't know because I'm seeing one line that says it sets up potential votes next week for six of the 12 appropriations bills. And then they'll have two more weeks to pass those remaining six spending bills. All right. We'll keep looking for more details on both of those stories and share those with you as we go through the afternoon. Remember, we are here every weekday afternoon, 2 to 6, live and local. Mark and Melinda, Wanda is calling in on the uh, topic of what's happening with regard to the special ed classes. Wanda, welcome. I understand you're the parent of a special ed student. Is that right, Wanda? Uh, Yes. um, My son right now is 35 years old, so I've seen both sides of what goes on in uh, special education because I'm a a parent, and as for me, I had to work hard in order for my son to get in uh, education in uh, special ed. And I did have some good teachers that worked with my child. And then on the other hand, I didn't have um, very good teachers. Some of them were just there just to collect a a paycheck Mm -hmm. or didn't want to work with the child that was um, different. Did you did you ever hear any reports about uh, physical altercations, any kind of violence, anything like that, when your son was in those classes? Um, I know that some of the teachers did uh, have a hard time with dealing with some kids that had um, behavioral um, issues, and they had to do things differently with them. Um, opposed to kids that didn't have any um, behavioral issues. All right. Wanda, thank you. Have a good afternoon. 512-836-0590. Let's go to Mike in Southwest Austin at 450 on KLBJ. How are you, Mike? Hey, it's such an interesting topic, and I'm not sure there's one solution, but not all of the kids are violent. How about removing the violent ones uh, out and putting them at another school where they're violent and they can be handled properly. Mm-hmm. But I also bet if they had some intimidating men in there, six foot, six foot two, six foot three, who they know can defend themselves, I, pr- I can promise you that they will not be attacking those people. Even though they are in special ed, they're not like stupid. You know, they're, they're, they're not, um, they they know what's going on. They prey on the weak, a 73-year-old man, a woman. They would not do that to somebody that was they were scared of. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what you think about that, but they should be separated. 
Well, yeah, that was your first point, and mm-hmm. it, it seems that generally speaking in our public schools now, there's a strong reluctance to remove those kids that are causing the most chaos or violence. Yeah, they can, that way, as your, the special ed lady called in a, a little while ago, if, 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 I don't think it's always more money. Sometimes it is. But they can remove those, those ch- children that need the attention she's talking about. And so now I'm not saying they need more or less. I don't have an answer for that. But remove them and focus on them mm-hmm. and so that the rest of the kids in special education can get education. And I don't know how we can't do that. City can have a special school for those with highly trained, intimidating people that will handle the kids properly and do what needs to be done. But teachers need to be able to defend themselves. And when she was talking about how, or slide before, how you can only take them down a certain way, you can only do certain things, that's ridiculous. You still have to defend yourself fully under any circumstance. That's my take on it. Mike, thank you. 512-836-0590. We've had a special ed teacher die, mm-hmm. according to his widow, at the hands of a special ed student. I, I think all Texans deserve a full report on actually what happened there and what's going on in other schools. Well, and I think there, this does need to be a conversation just because the way that this story was reported, I don't think the amount of training or even the amount of staff there could have prevented wh- how this happened. Uh, so the question remains, and we, do, and we know nothing about the student, and I'm not saying that we need to know names or anything, but... Was there a background of violent mm-hmm. outburst by this particular student? And, and to, to what extent was it? Was it just verbal outburst or were there physical outbursts like this that would have given you a clue that he had the ability to be this physical, this harmful, and this physical? And if that is the case, why are we not removing an individual like that or uh, just making sure in whatever manner you can that they are secure and anybody around them is secure. Let's go to Sam in Cedar Park with Mark and Melinda, 453. Good afternoon, Sam. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Yeah, I think um, the last caller kind of uh, hit on the point that I wanted to make, which was when Barbie called earlier and she was talking about her experience as a teacher, as, and and the the requirements of a uh, you know the funding that she thought needed to be there. What it seems like what she's looking for is more people, uh, more attention to be given to the children, and that's what they need. So there's these kids that are in a bad circumstance. Then the last caller pointed out, but not everybody's violent, and that seems to be the the problem of the story that you guys are talking about on the radio is that these kids are getting violent now, and a 73 year old man in any circumstance is not going to fare well against a violent six-year-old young person uh, or 16-year-old person. So what is the solution? You almost want to say someone should be able to defend themselves if they're ever assaulted in any circumstance, even if it is on special need kids versus a children, a child uh, or or an adult. I mean, right? Uh, Yeah, right, Sam. Thank you. Uh, part of the solution may be just recognizing that there are some students that need to be separated from everyone else. And they, the, yes, they have their teachers, their staff, specialists, but because of their propensity for violence, 
or violent outbursts, they do need to be separated. And I think that that's truly what needs to be looked at. I do think you have special needs children that can absolutely be integrated into a classroom without problems, but there are exceptions. And the exceptions are the ones that we need to put our focus on and say, I'm sorry, as much as we would like for them to be a part of the classroom, that's just not feasible on a lot of different levels. In order to give your child the best education, that requires us keeping them in a room by themselves with their own instructors, their own counselors, their own whatever is needed. Let's go to Rachel at 456 on KLBJ. Good afternoon, Rachel. Hi. Um, thank you for taking my call. I'll make it quick. I have three points on the, uh, on this. Uh, number one, the woman that called in that was the special ed teacher, it does not take money. When you decide to become a teacher, it's a calling not the paycheck, and throwing more money at these people is not going to make things better. Number two, when I was growing up, the mentally retarded children and the children that had mental problems had a separate school, which prevented any type of disruptions in a daily classroom, which meant that we got our education that we deserve And lastly, number three, uh, I'd like to know uh, how many many illegal alien kids that are in this um, schools that we, the taxpayers and citizens, are supporting. There doesn't seem to be any type of mention of this. And I'll hang up so you can talk. All right, uh, Rachel, thank you. Well, uh, we don't get specific numbers because the schools do not ask. Uh, the schools are under a Supreme Court decision that said if, if a student shows up at your school, you, you must educate them. them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if they're a U.S. citizen or they're here illegally. So that's one, one of the reasons why we don't get those kind of numbers. You can infer from the number of teachers they have to hire for bilingual education, those kinds of programs. Uh, They do at times break it down to students who are non-English speaking. So you can make some educated guesses based on that kind of information. Well, and we've seen even here just in Austin that when you have that a huge impact of those that are coming and don't know the language, don't know English, that it is very difficult to get them to where they need to be academically. And it's a struggle for the teachers, and then it becomes a struggle for the schools. Yes, because remember, the Border Patrol says we now have apprehended people from 160 different countries across America. How do you plan for that as a school district, that you're going to be getting someone from who knows where speaking what, what, language, how do you prepare to have someone on staff that is going to be able to speak the language that's needed? Yes, they're coming from Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, all over Central Asia now. Do we just have an entire team of people who speak their language ready to come in and start teaching them? No, we don't. No, yeah. We don't. So I don't know how you prepare for that, and I don't know how you can put that on a school and hope that they still are able to bring that kid and all the others up to the academic level that they need to be. All right. It's KLBJ. The news is coming up next. 
Maybe you or someone you know has a serious medical condition. Maybe you're just looking for answers on why you're not feeling well. Well, we've got a great show for you on KLBJ. Hi, I'm Ron Aaron with WellMed Radio, an entertaining and detailed look at health and wellness for seniors and other adults age 18 to 101. We bring you recommendations on how to live longer and healthier lives. Tune in to WellMed Radio Saturdays at 7 p.m. with the Caregiver SOS show immediately following right here on News Radio KLBJ.